Uh, so if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can come together and we can study your word and we can glorify you, we can magnify you, we can raise your name above all others, Lord, in this, in this busy time when the world hits us in all different angles, Lord, trying to take us away from the things of God, Lord. I pray that you would help keep us grounded, Lord. I pray that you would instill in us uh, a, a spirit of revival, Lord, as we go into this new year, and Lord, um, and just um, protect us from attacks, and um, just show us your way, and lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to uh, engage with others, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to build each other up in the fellowship, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, by your grace that we can stand before you today, that we have a place to, um, to fellowship and to worship and to declare your name, Lord, as truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I were to uh, take a poll, I would... I would assume that um, if there was a passage in Hebrews that was most familiar to you, you would probably say, say chapter 11, right? The Hall of Faith, all these uh, great names from the Old Testament, from, from, uh, um, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses and, and all these great men of faith. And just as a side note, I want to put out there, because it's, a, it's an intimidating list, you know, to look at all these guys and all the great uh, works of faith that they did. But what's fascinating about it is, as we look through that account there in chapter 11, it doesn't mention any of their sins, okay? When you, but when you see the accounts of them in the Old Testament, we see that these guys are human. These guys make mistakes. So when you look at them and you say, you know, you, you, we, we kind of hold them up, right, as these great men and women of faith, and we hold ourselves down so low, and we feel like we can't compete and that we're, um, you know, not in a position where we can do something significant for God because, you know, there's a part of us that says, you know, if we're not Billy Graham, if we're not Greg Laurie, if we're not doing some great thing, oh, I'm just the, the nursery worker. Uh, what's the other word for nursery here? Not nursery. Grace. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have to get that out of my head. Um, you know, doing something that in the minds of the world might seem like insignificant. But, you know, the crash worker and Billy Graham, who's to say that Billy Graham's going to get the greater reward? Uh, my question is, who was obedient to what God was calling them to do? Um, and chapter 11 ends with saying this. Um, it says in verse 39, All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, have, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We have something that they didn't have, okay? There was a reason that Jesus said it was good for me to leave. How is that even possible? I, I, I can't imagine being one of the disciples and, and Jesus saying, it's better that I leave you, right? Because he was going to leave behind his Holy Spirit who's going to indwell us, who's going to lead us. We have the, the power of God living inside of us. That's the advantage that we have. And when... You look at Hebrews, it was written to a people, Hebrew Christians, that were discouraged. They were discouraged. Because these are people that, are, that have a history, uh, you know, as long as they were in existence, of, of following a certain order, following a religious system, following uh, an order of sacrifice and, and of works, a works-based religion, aren't they all? And if you know someone that's come out of a religious system, you would imagine the type of persecution that they would, that, um, that they were in, would encounter. And don't think that's not alive and well today. It is. Things like not being able to get jobs, not being able to get loans from the bank, your friends leaving you, your family leaving you, uh, not wanting to have anything to do with you. Uh, if you were to leave Judaism today, they'd have a funeral service for you. A funeral service. You're no longer one of us. 
So you might say to me, well, how does this really apply to me then? Because is it possible that we can fall into some of these same traps of religion? If we are not following Christ the way we should, if we haven't, um, you know, given ourselves wholly to him, if there's things that we're holding back on. I mean, these guys were considering going back to the sacrificial system. They wanted to have Jesus in one hand and then hold on to the religion in the other. It doesn't work that way. Are you in or are you out? So there was an element of compromise. So for us, if we're not following Jesus the way we should, what does that make our faith? It makes it a system of religion. You go to church because you have to go to church. You do your Bible reading for the day. You say your prayer for the day. You might even, you know, pray before each meal. You, you, you do your thing because that's what you do. And that becomes your faith. That becomes your, you know, it kind of replaces your relationship with God. It's really about your personal relationship with God. So every one of us can fall into a legalistic system, a religious system. Don't think we're not susceptible, right? There's a reason that Paul, by the end of his life, was saying that he was the chief of all sinners because he would recognize himself in light of God and who he is. So the, the more he got to know God personally, at that personal level, the more he, he recognized that he's so far away from God. So another danger area for some of us is, you know, you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and you feel like you got it down. You feel like... You know, you're doing things right and, um, you know, you don't sin so much and maybe the sin's not even there because you don't recognize it. He who says they don't have sin is a liar. Okay, so don't fool yourself. That's why we need to constantly self-examine. So I want us to do that as we're going through here. I need to get through this passage here. Um, let's start in chapter 12 here, verse 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Because remember, he's talking to Christians here, Hebrew Christians. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving, not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So we find in verse 1, it says, let us, Okay, like lettuce, eat your vegetables. We have two lettuces here. The first one is, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. These are two different things, okay? You have every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, sin holds us back in our relationship with God, correct? We know that. Sin does that. These weights, see, these weights... Um, are also things that hold us back in our relationship with God. Not necessarily sin, though. So these weights are things in our lives creating a barrier between us and our relationship with God. And this is saying to lay them aside. Okay? And they not, may not necessarily be sin in and of themselves. And if you think about athletics, you think about training, bodybuilding, what's the purpose of weights? What's the purpose of them? To cause resistance, right? So you think of someone who's, who's on a bench press, right? Um, if there wasn't any weights on the bar, you could lift up the bar and you're, and you're free to do that. But once you, you add all those weights in there and it causes resistance, it's not so easy to go forth in doing that. So it's saying, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, probably in context, because the writer of Hebrews has addressed this before, uh, could be talking about their unbelief. Um, unbelief kept Israel out of the promised land. It was, and it's unbelief that hinders us from enter into, entering into our spiritual inheritance in Christ. So 
um, sins that easily ensnare us. Um, you could also look at, I'll say, everyday sins, because uh, I think each one of us has kind of a sliding scale of sin in which sins we determine are important enough that we need to do something about some of the obvious ones, immorality, murder, things like that, right? And then there's the ones that are more, that we might be more susceptible to fall into that we don't consider important enough. Maybe we don't think that God thinks it's important enough. It could be things like following council rules, right? When you're doing things to your house, or it could be uh, observing rules on the road. Um, and I could throw out an easy example. Now, I'm just asking what if, what if you're going one kilometer an hour over the speed limit? Is that a sin? You tell me. Why are you looking in your mirror if you're going over the speed limit? So there's obviously something uneasy about that. Now, what's interesting about I'm not going to nitpick about little things like this. You determine, you pray to God about it, and you see if it's important enough to Him. Because as far as I can tell, sin is sin. So we should be working at whether they're small sins or, or big sins. I think that we need to be constantly, regularly examining to see if we are in the faith, if there's things that we need to weed out of our lives, if these are sins that easily ensnare us that need to be gone. Because, number one, God's watching. Number two, other people are watching. What about our witness? Our witness is so important. Do not discard the power of our witness in the workplace, in the shops, at home. You never know when you're out in the shops and you're, you know, not in the best mood and maybe you're, you're snapping at your, your, your spouse or things like that. And, and don't you know who's in the next aisle? You know, someone from church or something. And then you're like, oh, you know, and then you get that wake-up call that, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You were fine doing it when nobody was around. Um, so these are things that um, just, they, they provide resistance. They get in the way of our relationship with Christ. And you know what, I, if uh, I have a family member back home, and if she ends up watching this, then um, I apologize ahead of time, but it's too good of an example. Uh, I, had a, uh, I was back in Philadelphia, that's where I'm originally from, and we're going to Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, and um, it was me and this relative, She'll know who. Um, but anyway, we had a similar discussion to this. And you know what she said to me? She said, you know what, Rob? There's more important things that we need to be worried about. Oh, really? Okay. So I was just sharing uh, what, was on, what was on my heart, what I felt, and maybe that was uh, something that God had convicted me about, but not her. I'm telling you, the next day, she didn't just get one, but she got two tickets for rolling through stop signs in her neighborhood. The very next day after she told me she had more important things to worry about. She didn't tell me that directly, but there was a couple other people that said, hey, did you hear? <laughs> so I'm like, I didn't say a word, and to this day, I don't say a word to her. I, I let God just take care of that. But anyway, um, so we need to watch out for those smaller sins, right? Let's, let's clean up our act a little bit. Let's get rid of all the junk. Um, the second uh, load of vegetables, the lettuce, is to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we are in a race. Do you realize that? Because it doesn't always feel like it. We're in a race. God has called each one of us to run our own race. And we need to run that race with endurance. We need endurance to finish what we have begun in Jesus Christ, that race that's set before us. Um, you know, we have to run this race, and the thing is, it involves commitment. It involves effort, right? It's a race. Think about a race, right? Being passive never wins the race. Never. We're to run our race to win the race, to, to win the prize. He wants us to run the race and he wants us to finish it right. 
And here's something interesting. Race in the Greek is agona. What does that sound like? Agona. Agonize. Agony. It means a conflict, a struggle of different kinds. That's not what we want to hear, is it? Um, earlier in Hebrews, in chapter 10, uh, you know what? Turn back with me, if you would. Uh, just back up to chapter 10. Um, chapter 10, verse 32. Let's, let's start at 32. It says, but recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle. So when you first got saved, remember back what that was like. You were illuminated and you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Because back then we didn't care, right? We got saved, we're excited, we're sharing with everyone, we're taking a stand in our family, we're taking a stand for truth, we don't care what anybody thinks or says and they make fun of you and, you know, okay, you, you, wanna, you don't want to have part of this friendship anymore? Okay, see ya. And we didn't care. So back then, we dealt with those things. And it says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Remember that feeling? Remember what that was like? And it says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that, you ready? After you have done the will of God, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Sometimes some of the toughest and most discouraging trials we have are when we are called to obey God's will, when the fulfillment of so many of his promises seems so far away. We need endurance. And when we're faithful during that time when the promise seems unfulfilled, right? We don't see any results from it after we suffer this. It can be a, a, an indicator, a measure of your obedience and your spiritual maturity. Okay, so I need endurance. How does that work? I have some more bad news for you. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, if you want to write it down. Um, it says, My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. I want to emphasize the word joy here. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So it's actually good news. Okay, why are all these bad things happening to me? God, I gave you my life. I, my, I gave you my sweat and my blood and my tears. I do all this work for you and I see no fruit of it. It seems like nobody cares. But God is working on us. He's keeping us dependent on Him. Think about this. And I think this is one of the problems we have in our culture, in our Western culture. People have money. And when you have money... They feel like they don't need God. If we don't have any problems, why do we need God? I'm trying to help us be more okay with some of the things that we go through. Because the, um, our, because our endurance is built through the testing of our faith. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the fruit of it. Let's go back to um, chapter 12. 
it says in verse 2 regarding our race that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It began in Christ, it's to finish with Christ. He started that work in us. He that has started a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the end. Notice it says to look unto Jesus. If we're looking unto Jesus, then it's implied that we're not to be looking at other things, not to be looking at those, those sins and those weights that we've laid aside, not to be looking at other competitors in the race, not to be consumed in things of the world, things that, um, you know, that we, we can get consumed in. And it might be... Um, you know, getting the, a promotion at work. It might be about money. It might be about the stock market. It might be any number of things. TV, social media. We get so consumed in Facebook and social media, and, and that's the world we're in today. You know, we're, we're out here. We're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to share the world, share the word in a world that doesn't want to communicate that way anymore. And... I really don't know how good it's doing, Sharon. I mean, to some extent, Facebook has its good purpose, you know, and, and we utilize it to get the word out that way, you know. But when people start getting into arguments on Facebook, I mean, how many people's minds are really being changed in a, a form of media that has no inflection? Things are taken the wrong way. I know so many people that are hurt by texts by messages that go forth with no inflection in And, you know, just to give you an example, just something simple, someone could say, why are you going there? Or are they saying, why are you going there? Or are they saying, why are you going there? Right? It can be taken any number of ways. And people get hurt by this, you know? And I fall into it a little bit too. You get caught up. It is sometimes more convenient. I'm not, again, I'm not nitpicking at these little things. I'm just trying to keep your minds open to um, to this baseline of what God has for us. I mean, we need to, sh- we need to talk with people. We-, we need to share the word with people. And uh, uh, I'm going to get to more of that in a minute. Um, but we're to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, okay? Not all the things that are going around us, not the, not the, the course that lays before us. And it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus didn't take joy in the torture and the, and, you know, the, the horrific elements of the cross. He didn't take joy in that. But he was able to see through all of that, see through the fog of war to see what was on the other end. To glorifying the Father, to, to doing His will, to bringing about salvation for the people so that we can have hope. And now we have that. Now we can see through the fog of the war on the other side. And we lean forward and we, we, we you know, have that hope in front of us as, as Jesus Himself has set the path and He's sitting at the right hand of God. It's saying the work is complete. He's sitting down because He doesn't have anything else to do. He paid for it once and all at, at the cross and he has set us free, and now we have that hope. And that, So when we go through trials and we're discouraged, like these people were here, they look forward to the hope. We know that we have an eternity. We need to stand fast. We need to have endurance. We need to keep the faith. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and stop worrying about all the things over here. And it says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Now remember, this is all in light of chapter 11 where we've given us all those, all those great men and women of faith, right? Okay, that's why a lot of times I like to pig, pigtail on, on, uh, on the back end of some famous passage like this because uh, the core of the message gets missed, okay? We focus in on Jesus Christ. We see the work that he can do through people. And we praise him and we, we glorify him for the work that he does in others. And he uses all of us. He uses the church body to build each other up. We're to be utilizing our spiritual gifts. We all have spiritual gifts to employ in this battle, this agona. Consider him who endured such hostility 
from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. See, we're just as susceptible. And it says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. This is heavy stuff. What about Christmas? Rob, lighten up. And if, I, if we look back just at these last couple of verses, it's talking about things like sin that easily ensnares us, heavy weights, you know, agona, um, enduring the cross, despising shame, uh, hostility from sinners against himself, becoming weary, discouraged in our souls, striving, re- resisting to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now let, let's stop for a minute. And look at our own lives. Is this what our race looks like? Is this what our walk with God looks like? Or are we passive? Are we on the sidelines? You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Really? We know things can be bad, but all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? You might say, well, I don't suffer persecution. I don't know what that means, okay? That's something you need to bring before the Lord. Maybe as you examine and you, you, you're in prayer and you want God to reveal to you um, ways that you can grow in your relationship with him, in ways that you can be in his will to accomplish his will, to um, do the things that he's calling you to do. Maybe you're doing all those things and praise God, you haven't endured persecution. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you have been sitting on the sidelines and you, you are waiting for a renewal, you're waiting for a revival. Maybe the time's here. A lot of times people wait for January 1st, right? Well, that's Wednesday. You don't have to wait till Wednesday. You know, let's do it today. That's why the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ is so crucial. That should be on the cover of your Bible. It's crucial because it, deter- it's, it determines our mindset. It determines how we live our life. If you really believe that Jesus could come back at any time, that would change your life. I guarantee it. It would. Maybe it's time for change now. I wanted to go back and mention one more thing. Um, When it talked about Jesus despising the shame... Um, shame is interesting because it's one of the main or prominent elements of the torture that Jesus experienced on the cross, number one. And he despised it, but he also endured it. Shame is also a significant trial. Uh, mark down Daniel 12.2. It says there that shame is an aspect of the terrors of hell, too. It says in Daniel, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, many to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Interesting, huh? Just another element of what Jesus endured through his love for us on the cross to accomplish our redemption. The um, second part of this message is, it's, it's related to the first, but I want to kind of break it up into two pieces here. Um, let me read through the next section. It says, verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. 
My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the, sub, to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here's another element that these Hebrew Christians, and maybe us too, we kind of forget about. Or maybe we don't recognize when God's chastening or his discipline comes upon us. But we should be encouraged. It says this is an exhortation there in 5. If you've forgotten the exhortation, this is an encouragement. That if we are the Lord's, if we belong to him, he will discipline us. If we don't belong to him, you know, you know, we don't make it a habit of disciplining other people's children, no matter how much the neighbor's kids deserve it. You know, we, we uh, exercise control and patience. Um, but if we belong to the Lord, he will chasten us. You know, and to be honest with you, I don't like disciplining my kids. I dread it. Okay. Every time something, I just want them to be the perfect kids, and they are, because one of them is listening. They are the perfect kids. No, uh, no, we all have sin in our lives. Um, but you know, I I, I kind of dread it, and you know, sometimes you might, you know, everybody disciplines in different ways, right? This is something us 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 parents, um, but I'll say I'll say fathers here need to be in prayer about. Because it's, it's an important piece of, of raising our children to discipline them in the ways of the Lord. We can't just let them go do whatever they want, right? There's consequence to that. In society, yes, but in the church also, uh, before God and the relationship with God, we're teaching them. It, it, it's, it's all intermingled. It's all related in building them up in the ways of the Lord. And, um, you know, we discipline in different ways, and it might be because, you know, we discipline a certain way because that's the way my father did it, or that's the way his father did it. And, um, you know, we don't want to fall into that trap for anything, why we do anything that we do. We want to do what we do because our Father in heaven wants us to do it that way, okay? Because his discipline is perfect. You know, our fathers discipline us and we respect them for it. And it says, as seems best to them, right? Because they're not perfect. My father wasn't perfect. I'm not a perfect father. As seemed best for them, it says for a few days they chastened us because in light of eternity, you know, the time that we have as fathers is limited. And... I would imagine it would be a difficult thing, you know, for our kids to grow up and, you know, some, some go astray. Some, you know, go in the right direction. Some go astray and then they come back, right? Um, but I wouldn't want to have that, that, that guilt on me for, um, for falling short in that area. Our, our time is now. And, we, and anytime you see, you know, uh, you know, every time I go home back to Philadelphia and they see the kids, oh, they grew up so fast, Right? And we say that too. They grow up faster in the eyes of other people that don't see them so often because they see the dramatic changes. Um, but they do grow up fast, and our time is short. And we live in, exp in expectancy. We need to be ready. 
So we train them up, we grow, we, we grow them up in the ways of the Lord, we discipline them because we love them. That's what I wanted to get at before. Okay, I don't like doing it, but I do it because I love them. Our Father disciplines us because He loves us. He's not going to just let us go, do whatever we want to do, and subject ourselves to the world's system because the world is fighting. The world is in their race, aren't they? They're coming at us in all different directions. Is there any safe TV show to watch anymore? But the Lord, He is our perfect Father in heaven. Now, some of us may not have had godly parents, or maybe we didn't even grow up with our dad. Maybe we don't even know what a dad is supposed to be like. But I will suggest that, you know, because of who we are in God, in that He made us, in that He saved us, in that we are, you know, um, subject to that intuitive nature that, that, that there's a part of us that always longs for Him. Even for a non-believer, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit draws them back, you know, toward himself, right? And then a, a non-believer even, um, you know, they recognize that there's things that are wrong and things that are right. How do they know that? Because God instills that into them. How do, how do they know? How do they know that murdering someone is wrong? No one had to tell them that. They know that it's wrong. Same thing. If we don't, have a, uh, if we don't know what a father is like, I reassure you, we, we learn. And that's another reason we, we study and we learn the word. We need to know our father in heaven. We need to know him personally. We need to know what he's, what he's like, what having, a tr- what having a true father is like. And then us as fathers need to implement some of those same attributes. We want to be like Christ. And as we um, continue to run our race and we shed those sins and we, be, and we draw closer to Him, we study His Word, we stay in prayer, we keep moving forward. We need to be leaning forward in our relationship with Him that we may know Him. And, you know, because if, if there's some restricting factor, it's not because of Him. It's not because God is restricting that relationship. It's us. We're saying, okay, I'm willing to do anything for Christ, but shame? To be embarrassed? To be humiliated? Isn't that really where we draw the line? Because we're not living in a, in a culture where we're going to get beaten or put to death or persecuted like these guys were. Now, what are we dealing with in this culture? And if we're not sharing the gospel for the reason which I suspect it generally is, is that we don't want to look bad, what is that? Calvary Hawksbury better be able to answer that. It's pride. It's pride. What does God think of pride? God hates pride. So if that's something that you struggle with, Okay, let's get together on that. Let's pray about that. Let's, let's, let's work together. God, Jesus always sent them out in pairs, didn't he? Right? We're all in this together. That's why we're here. We're learning. We're growing. We're fellowshipping together. There's that koinonia. There's that oneness in Jesus Christ that we're, that we're all sharing, that we're all experiencing. And it's a blessing. We all work together. We all have these different parts of the body. We're all working together. We build each other up in Christ and, you know, keep our eyes focused on him. And... As we endure, as we do not despise that chastening, because no chastening seems joyful at the present. You know, if you discipline your child and they go away laughing, is it doing any good at all? There's no point in it. But if you are open to it, if you yield, uh, if you um, Uh, receive it and you're trained by it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
Isaiah 32, 17 says, The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Yeah, that's what I want. Let's slow everything down. I just moved out in the the farmlands of Glossodia, and it's a lot quieter. Even then, Rich, Richmond's a small town, but now we're a little bit even farther out, and it's quiet out there, and you just, the kookaburras wake you up in the morning, and, um, but some, there's something about that peacefulness, that quietness, you know, as, as we live our lives in faithfulness to Him, He brings, a, supernaturally brings about that peace. We try to bring about the peace and then go at it, right? But that's a result, that's, that's fruit of that. Um, James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, there's our word peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, remember we talked about that openness that we need to have in our relationship, you know, I'll do anything for Jesus, but, right, any of those things? Uh, so we want to be open, uh, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. These are fruits that should be produced in our lives if we are not despising the chastisement, that we're enduring it and that we, we look. I mean, when you're going through trials, are you looking to see what God is teaching you from it? Are you learning from it? Are you um, are you you know listening to God? Are you open to what He's saying? Because when you're going through a trial, there's there's two ways you can handle it. Okay, I think it's pretty black and white. There's two ways you can handle it. You get to the end of that trial right? And you can look back because everything becomes a testimony, right? It's all about a witness. You look back and you can say one of two things. I took this thing and I handled it in my own strength and it was miserable and it was painful and I couldn't endure the hardships. Or do you look back at that trial that you just got through because God is the God of all grace, right? So if we've ever received grace, it's because of him. We've gotten through other things before that we thought we were never going to get through. So do we, the other option was, do we look back at that trial and say, you know, I gave all this to God. It was hard, but he saw me through. He gave me a peace that I can't explain because I was relying on him and I was obedient to him and I accepted what he had for me. I was trained by it. It becomes a testimony. Look for the testimony in those things and share the testimony. Paul always shared his testimony. How many times in Acts he shared his testimony? Right? Every few chapters he's doing it. Share your testimony of God's goodness. That has an impact on people because people can't take that away from you. They can't say, no, you didn't experience that. No, that didn't happen. So if you're discouraged... If you've maybe been a pew potato for too long now and you feel like it's time for you to step out, maybe it's in serving in the church. Last I heard, there were still some openings to do different things. I'm not sure. Maybe it's doing things out in the community. Um, maybe it's being a witness in your workplace. Could even be in your own household, in your own family. There's lots of ways to serve God. It's an everyday, it's an every moment thing. And if God's calling you to serve in the church in some way, maybe it's through evangelism, things like that, talk to Pastor Ben. Talk to myself. I have work for you to do. <laughs> um, verse 12 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Be healed. Stop resisting. Don't hold back anymore. Let's give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. 
It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to have a world around us that's trying to pull us in all different directions and there's no peace there and it seems like chaos. But we find that in Jesus Christ and we can be healed. It doesn't have to be this way. We can see through the smoke and reach out to that hope that we have in Christ, the hope of glory. I'm going to end with, a, um, with another passage in um, Isaiah 35. Um, let's, let's just turn there. I'm going to just read through this passage and let God's word just encourage you there for what it is. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1. It says this, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Let me say that again. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. Um, let's have the worship team come up and, um, you know, I don't want to just, you know, send you away and just say, you know, go pray about this. Um, I want to just give you an opportunity now and maybe if we can just have a few minutes of silence where you can just be one with the Lord and, um, and just let some of this word resonate in your heart. And, you know, we have our ups and downs in our walk with Christ and maybe you feel like you've just been on the outside a little bit and you just need a refreshing and that time is today, not Wednesday. Um, but you might say, well, what do I do? Right? Um, consider this. Uh, you know, I had a revelation from Revelation this morning. This was kind of a last-minute thing. Um, when Jesus spoke to the church of Ephesus, he told them how to come back to the Lord. He said, um, in chapter 2, he said, Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. So remember. Repent and do the first works. That's what he said. So remember uh, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. That's all you need to do. Come back to him. Just choose to come back to him. You think about the prodigal son. When he was in the, in the mud with the pigs, what was his experience? He remembered what it was like in his father's house. He repented. And he did the first works. What are the first works? these spiritual disciplines, the things you do when you first got saved. Let's, let's bow our hearts and our eyes now and, um, and just um, give our lives fully to the Lord now and um, you know, just kind of rededicate our lives. I think to some extent we can all say that we need to come back to the Lord. That he would remind you of his goodness and his grace and his love for you. If you're discouraged, 
Give that over to the Lord. He loves you. If you're being persecuted at work and you're concerned, you're anxious, give it to the Lord. If there's sin and weights in your lives, things just getting in the way of your relationship with God, you know what they are. Lay them aside. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the cross. How you love us. How you gave everything for us so that we can be restored. So we don't have to wonder or stress or be anxious of the things of this world that we have a Father in Heaven who cares about us, who loves us. Someone that we can trust. Your word is truth, Lord. You are good. You are graceful. You are merciful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.